global warming. It has a lot of people concerned. Is there any truth to it? How should people of faith respond to the issue of global warming? This is Evidence and Answers with scholar, author, and apologist Pat Zuckerman, who defends the Christian faith all over the world. And today on Evidence and Answers, Pat Zuckerman is here with a special guest. And Pat, introduce him. Yes, Kevin. It's always a privilege to have my boss, Kirby Anderson, the National Director of Probe Ministries, here with us to talk about this important issue. Well, Kirby, welcome to the show again. Always good to be with you. A very controversial topic, but we'll try to give some perspective to it today. Just to let our audience uh, know that uh, you can listen to all of Kirby's shows at evidenceandanswers.org. Go to the resources section, and we now have iShows, where you can download any show that Kirby has done in the past five years for just $2.50. Not only Kirby, but all of our great guests, Dr. Norm Geisler, Dr. Gary Habermas, Dr. Hugh Ross, and others, over 100 shows for you to pick from that you can download just like you would an iTunes song. Here's a topic that we are hearing a lot about in the news, global warming. Do we have a disaster on our hands? Here to address the issue and give us some answers, Kirby Anderson. Kirby, what is global warming? What is this whole issue all about? Well, scientists have noticed for some time that there have been variations in the atmosphere. When I was uh, in graduate school, we actually measured some of those, and uh, global warming is the observed increase, basically, in the average temperature of the Earth's atmosphere and oceans. And the argument for those who believe that we are in the midst of a remarkable climatic change is that these variations are much more significant than those that have taken place in the past. Most of this observed warming, they say, has happened in the last 50 years, a lot of it in just the last few decades, and they argue that it's due to an increase in what are called greenhouse gases. Primarily, we're talking about carbon dioxide, also methane comes into that. But that's primarily the definition, and the real questions that I think we're going to be dealing with today are, is the Earth getting warmer? Uh, number two, if it is, what is causing it? Then number three, are there things that we can really do to deal with that? And I hope that we can kind of take people down that logic tree because oftentimes what happens is I believe there's global warming, thus we need to begin to implement all these political uh, changes. And I hope we can kind of deal with not only the science but the politics as well. That's great. You know, let's start off with uh, something that you mentioned. What are some explanations for this global warming. Well, if you've ever seen the movie, and I've watched it a couple of times, An Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore. It is one that won an Academy Award. And uh, he makes the argument, and you see some of the arguments being made in science journals, that most of the observed warming in the last 50 years is likely to be attributed to human activities. Uh, the argument is very easy to make if you can uh, look at some of the charts where they will show the increase in concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and then parallel that by showing increases in temperature. But it's interesting to point out that if you go back, and even if you look at Al Gore's film, there's one place where he is showing the increase in carbon dioxide uh, concentrations and temperature, and he, for dramatic effect, gets on a lift and actually lifts up into the sky. But if you look back, you realize that if you go far enough back, even in his own diagram, you see there's another time in the past 
where the temperature was quite warm. And that suggests that perhaps some of the variations that we are seeing here are due simply to the variations that take place because of uh, t- differences in the sun, rotational speed, all sorts of things. If you are convinced that uh, global warming is taking place now because of SUVs and because of uh, burning carbon uh, at a much more accelerated rate, you have a little bit of difficulty explaining why it was getting warm in the past. And many people have suggested that if you look over a longer period of time, we've been coming out of what has been a cool period, what's been called the Little Ice Age. And you can look at history books and recognize that there was a time in which it was possible to raise grapes in England and then a time when it was not. And now it seems to be warming up where you could do that again. You can look at the Vikings when they were in Iceland and Greenland, other places like that, and see that there was time when sometimes that was farmed and other times it was not. So the real questions that people are having uh, first of all, are even if we can see that the Earth is warmed, and I think most people recognize that you can come up with a, a half a degree centigrade, maybe even seven tenths of a degree centigrade warming. Uh, the real question is: Is this first of all a warming trend that is? Uh, something that is different than what we've seen in the past. So that's, of course, assumption number one. Now, you also have to assume, then, that if it is happening here, it's due to human activity. This is where a lot of scientists point to the fact that right now, if you look at Mars, the southern polar ice caps seem to be melting there as well. No one is suggesting that SUVs are running around Mars or that there is anybody burning fossil fuel there as well. So there are some that are starting to suggest maybe we do have some warming, but maybe much less of it has to do with human activity and much more of it has to do with some of the natural cycles that take place. You know, Kirby and Pat, uh, Hollywood has jumped on this issue not only in the Al Gore film, which claims to be more of a documentary, a serious film, uh, but also some of the fictional films that are coming out. There was one called The Day After Tomorrow. Oh, sure. Which presents this scenario and goes on big screens across the land and the world and, again, scares you to death. And I think you have to recognize that when you watch some of these films or you hear some of these statements, there's a fair amount of alarmism. Um, Al Gore has uh, certainly gotten a tremendous amount of attention with his uh, film An Inconvenient Truth and The Day After Tomorrow. Some of these other films really raise those kinds of questions. But even people who are believing that we are in the midst of climatic change have begun to kind of raise their hands and say, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about what's been taking place. Very interesting article that appeared in New York uh, Times recently. I'll just quote from one individual, Don Easterbrook, and he said, I don't want to pick on Al Gore. He was telling uh, hundreds of experts at the uh, meeting of the Geological Society of America. But he said, but there are lots of inaccuracies in the statements we are seeing, and we have to temper that with real data. And so I think when we come to this discussion, we can recognize that this is a place where scientists can disagree with one another. I think Christians can disagree with one another. In a few minutes, we'll talk about the fact that you've had an evangelical climate initiative and you've had an interface stewardship as uh, alliance. But the point is, is that we really seem to uh, have this alarmist trend right now. And I wrote a column that uh, has now been published in a number of different venues, Global Warming, Cool the Hype, because what we have to do is come back and be a little more humble, maybe a little more reflective. And if we're going to really understand what's taking place, a cool and quick and careful evaluation of some of the hype might be the best thing that we can do in order to make sure that we don't buy into some of those scenarios we see in these movies. You know, that may be surprising. 
surprising for many people listening out there. I mean, all that we have seen are polar bears dying <laughs> because the, the ice cap in the North Pole is shrinking, hurricanes, you know, in the Mediterranean and off Florida are due to global, that we just got a disaster on our hands here. And what you may be saying may be something new that we have not heard. Well, let's, if we can, just take a couple of points. And you mentioned the polar bears. First of all, most wildlife experts say polar bears are doing quite fine and will continue to do so. But you see that in Inconvenient Truth. You even saw it in the recent Discovery Channel on planet Earth. But the uh, fact is, we may, uh, if uh, we take the Canadian estimates seriously, may have more polar bears than we've ever had before. So that uh, doesn't seem to be the case. But the one that I think is probably the most visual in the film, if anybody's ever seen it, is where Al Gore suggests that if this climate change does indeed take place, that the sea level will raise... 20 feet. And then he shows a very vivid, almost PowerPoint presentation where you start seeing parts of Florida, New York inundated, Bangladesh, Calcutta. They're just completely inundated. Now, let's be honest to uh, point out that while he is making this claim, and that is at the most extreme level of any claim that anybody has made, there are other people who also agree that climate change is a problem. And I might point to the most recent report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Planet uh, Panel on Climate Change. And these are people in the UN who are convinced that climate change is taking place. They're convinced global warming is taking place. But they, in their report, say that the best estimates they can come up with are sea levels might raise 7 inches to 17 inches. The average is about a foot. Now, Al Gore says that the sea levels might go up 20 feet, and the United Nations, it also believes that global warming will take place, say that it might only go up one foot. Now, I went to the public schools, but I still think there's a difference between 20 feet and one foot. And you can begin to see that that's the kind of hyperbole and the kind of hype that is causing even people who are convinced that global warming is a problem to come back and say, you know, we need to really kind of cool the hype a little bit and recognize that after all, over the last century, the sea levels have raised up about a half a foot anyway, even long before people were driving SUVs and before people were burning all the various uh, kinds of carbon-based fuels that they're burning right now. So again, every time you look at this evidence, you kind of need to step back for a little bit and look at it with a little bit more objectivity. You know, we're going to talk about, uh, Pat and Kirby, the impact the Al Gore film has had uh, on this debate and also on culture. But uh, one thing that we can point out is that global warming has entered so much into the lexicon, uh, the cultural lexicon, that everything is blamed on it now. We just had a really bad tornado season in the Midwest here, devastating tornadoes and so forth. And you're hearing people say, well, this must be global warming because they're this bad. Well, and tornadoes could not possibly be affected by global warming at all. You might be able to make a case that some hurricanes can be, but even the people that are hurricane experts are definitely saying that this is just a natural cycle in the hurricane cycle. But tornadoes, no. And I think the best evidence to suggest that we now, quote, see more tornadoes is due to the fact that we have more sensitive equipment to measure them. So in each case, when you hear some of these statements being made, it's reasonable to step back for just a minute, look at it, and evaluate whether or not that can be blamed on the particular trend that you're talking about, global warming or whatever, or whether or not there are other factors that might explain that. Well, Kirby, how have evangelicals responded to this issue of global warming? 
Well, that's a good point. And I want to point out at the moment that even though uh, there may be disagreement among evangelicals, I think it's important to say that it would be really helpful if we did not engage on either side on name-calling. Because what I have noticed, especially in the secular world, is I'm seeing more and more columnists and writers suggesting that a person who disagrees with the global warming scenario, who's a global warming skeptic, is oftentimes compared to a Holocaust denier or something like that. I think there are good evangelical Christians on both sides. I was just watching a video the other day. It was taped at a Christian college where he had one uh, individual from each of the sides I'm going to describe. And that is, if you go back to February 2006, there is what is known as the Evangelical Climate Initiative. And a number of evangelicals, these would be presidents of Christian colleges and others, signed on and basically argued that uh, we should love our planet and we should honor the creator by making sure that we are careful with the creation. And I would agree with all of that, but the bottom line is when you tie Genesis 1 and 2 and mean stewardship to a particular public policy having to do with climate change, I think there's a jump in logic. And that's why a few months later, a group known as the Interfaith Stewardship Alliance uh, actually had an open letter to those who wrote about climate change simply to say, we uh, are really a little bit concerned that you're trying to say that the evangelical position is virtually identical to the position held by Al Gore and other individuals, number one. And second of all, we are very concerned about the political implications of this, because the implication almost always has been, if you believe that there is global warming, then the next step is to sign something like the Kyoto Treaty to begin to establish uh, world governmental types of controls on the burning of fossil fuels and the rest. And so there is a little bit of an intramural debate, and And I think we should say that people on both sides certainly recognize the importance of us being good stewards. And Pat, you and I know that uh, one of the things that we do at Probe all the time is we make sure that we recycle all our paper. And if you come to my home, you can see we recycle all sorts of other things as well. Almost all of us drive very energy efficient, fairly small cars. Um, The uh, air conditioning is not put up at a very high level. I mean, we work very hard to make sure that we're good stewards of the resources God has placed in our hand. But those people that find themselves maybe disagreeing with some of the skeptics of uh, climate change are so prone to then question their motives, say, well, they've been bought off by the oil companies or they've uh, in some way or another are just uh, not looking at the facts. And I think if you actually take a much more objective look at the facts, you can begin to see that there are some very significant questions people have about whether global warming is taking place, and number two, how much of that, if it indeed is taking place, is due to human activity. Kirby, this seems to have become a political football, and these things can be politicized, much like the AIDS virus. We've actually politicized a virus, and so this enters into the political realm and becomes a political issue, not just a a scientific issue, it seems. And I noticed that, especially if you go over to Europe. I've interviewed a few individuals on my program who uh, point out that if you disagree with some of the tenets of global warming, there are threats against your life. One man I'm going to mention just a minute uh, in more detail is Bjorn Lomberg, and he is a man who used to be with Greenpeace, 
uh, but he wrote the book The Skeptical Environmentalist, and he began to kind of back off of some of the extreme environmentalism. I was talking to an individual who knows him, and in order to go to see Bjorn Lomberg over in the Scandinavian countries, you have to go through a locked door, and you have to uh, show yourself in front of a video camera. He has a food taster. I mean, this has gotten uh, to the point where people's lives are threatened overseas, uh, and the Green Parties and all the rest are a very important part of that. Now, in this country, it's not come to that. There are um, various wars of words, but that's about as far as it's come. But there are political implications. If you are absolutely convinced, as some individuals are, that global warming is taking place, and global warming is due to many things that are happening not just in one country, but globally, then you, I think, by definition, have to begin to think of global solutions and talk about the fact that maybe we need a one-world governmental entity to control this and to implement this and we need to begin to uh, limit the amount of growth that we can allow in certain countries and the rest and so this requires a level of governmental interference that we've never seen before uh, there are some that have said that that may actually be the desire of some they're not so much concerned about the science as they are concerned about the politics because they are convinced that if indeed you have global problems whether they are population whether they are environmental issues whether they are problems of terrorism that the only problem that can be solved globally is by having a global government and so thus you can see how the political element enters in here very quickly and kirby you know as christians uh, what is the biblical teaching uh, or the Christian worldview position regarding the environment? Well, I think we first of all come to Genesis 1 and 2, in particular Genesis 1, where it talks about the fact that we are to go out and to subdue the earth, or a better translation might to be good stewards of the earth. And so we have quite a bit of teaching in Scripture that implies the fact that we are stewards of this earth, that we are to uh, use technology wisely to improve the standard of living, and we have been doing that, really, if you think about it, for centuries. Very few people in the listening audience right now that have ever encountered anything like smallpox or whooping cough or diphtheria or a number of other things simply because we have applied wise technology to treat and to cure and to even in many cases eradicate many of those diseases. And so on the one hand, we are certainly to be good stewards of the planet. Now, in the Old Testament, we have many passages that talk about how to wisely deal with that. Uh, the idea of having a Sabbath rest, the idea of resting animals, the idea of treating uh, the uh, creation in a wise and compassionate way. So I think there is a definite biblical injunction for us to make sure that we understand the responsibility that we have to treat the environment in a wise way. At the same time, we also recognize, I think, that if we're going to have the most productive uh, production of materials and resources, private property enters into that as well. And even in the Old Testament, you had the various tribes getting various property. And once people were responsible for the food that they raised, you have begun to see the dynamic productivity taking place. So I would have to say that even though we say that we are to be stewards of the land, that doesn't disavow the idea of owning private property and also the responsibility that we have to treat the environment wisely and to make sure that we pass on to the next generation uh, an earth that's at least as good, if not better shaped, than the one that we received. Mm. You know, Kirby, one of the reasons I ask that question is that when I speak to a lot of environmentalists or attend a lot of environmentalist meetings, I don't run into many Christian environmentalist groups. Most of them 
build their ideas on a worldview of pantheism right. or naturalism. You know, why is that? Well, and that's something I have noticed because I was involved in the very first Earth Day, as uh, I think I've said before. I was born in Berkeley. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I began to notice that as well because after I became a Christian, I began to realize that some of those environmentalist groups were really not operating from a Christian point of view. Not that I assume that they were anyway, but they were really pretty much operating from a pantheistic point of view. A man by the name of Lynn White at UCLA wrote a book called, uh, or read an article, I should say, about the uh, fact that he was convinced that this Genesis account was dangerous because it gave people a license to rape the resources and to use those in inappropriate ways. It didn't. But uh, more and more people began to develop kind of a pantheistic worldview, the idea that we are one with nature, that uh, instead of trying to recognize that human beings are created in the image of God, have value and dignity and are distinct from the creation, they instead want to lower human beings down to the animals. And you've had some interesting situations where some of the animal rights activists seem to imply that uh, a species that's an endangered species has more value than a human being. So you can see how that's gone in that direction. What I think we need to come back to is developing what I might call a Christian view of the environment, a Christian view of stewardship. And that group, the Interfaith Stewardship Alliance, I think really goes a long way towards trying to do that and recognize that we should be wise in terms of our use of resources, but we also, if we're going to be passionate about the environment, need to be dispassionate about how we analyze some of the facts and figures and some of the hype taking place. The sad reality is right now, there was a study done a number of years ago when they basically found that interest in the environment and, and church attendance were inversely correlated. In other words, people who go to church seem to be the least interested in the environment. And my argument is I think churches need to consider how they might increase uh, interest in the environment with such things as Awana programs, Boy Scouts, uh, various kinds of retreats, just so that uh, young people really understand the earth and the environment and understand it from a biblical point of view. You know, Kirby and Pat, many who are old enough and living in North America during the 60s and 70s remember all the ad campaigns against pollution and against destroying the environment. One of the most clear images is of the Native American with a tear rolling down his cheek. Sure. That really seemed to work. In fact, it seems that maybe we've had some successful campaigns in the past to curtail pollution, garbage, and some of the other things. And so, um, Hopefully we can continue that trend. And there seems to be quite a bit of evidence to suggest that indeed the air is cleaner, the water is cleaner, and we have certainly have been able to deal with some of the toxic wastes in very effective ways. Part of that has come through governmental programs, the Clean Air Act and Clean Water Act. Much of it has come through the entrepreneurial spirit in the area of the free enterprise system. Uh, interestingly enough, former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich is kind of now talking about a green conservatism. In other words, he's saying being a conservationist and being a conservative are not polar opposites. As a matter of fact, they overlap rather dramatically. And he has suggested that even if we want to begin to deal with issues like global warming, there may be better free market answers to these questions uh, because of the dynamism of the free market, because of the entrepreneurial capital and venture capital, and that many of those answers might be better solved in the free market than actually would be solved by some large governmental bureaucracy. Well, Kirby, as we end the show, tell us where we can get some information on a Christian perspective on the environment that's not too much hype but gives a good 
balanced perspective. Well, I would point out that uh, at Pro Ministries, we've uh, produced a couple of radio programs. Dr. Ray Boland on our staff has done a week on global warming. Some of my commentaries, the one on global warming, Cool the Hype, which has a number of the footnotes that will tie you back to those articles that appeared in uh, New York Times, some of the quotes from The Inconvenient Truth, those are all available. Might also point people to the Interfaith Stewardship Alliance. You can just simply do an internet search and find that very simply, and that will give you some information which is very well-reasoned and very well footnoted, and maybe just give you a little different perspective than what you're getting right now in the mainstream media. We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. You'll find Pat Zuckerman's interviews with leading scholars and speakers on the most crucial issues facing the church and the world. Go to evidenceandanswers.org and be equipped. In fact, there's a new feature on our website called iShows, where you can download each individual show for just $2.50. They're 30-minute shows on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Just like you download a song on iTunes, these are iShows that... You can download each individual show you want. And we've got some of the top scholars on there. Dr. Norman Geisler, Dr. Craig Evans, Hugh Ross, and others are on there. And also you can read our articles. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidenceandanswers.org.